Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Exactly what the funeral would be like, because um, Eugene is really well known in lots of circles. Um, I don't say this to inflate him, but just to make him a point, he's probably sold between 11 and 15 million books, copies of his books. And I just know how those kind of things go sometimes, particularly in the Christian world. All the entourages show up, <laughs> people who really, um, you know, probably didn't have much of a relationship. And there really was absolutely none of that. I expected to see at least a few Christian bigwigs, and there were none. And I thought about that afterwards, and I thought, because that isn't who his friends were. That wasn't the people that he was with. I thought a lot about this text, and um, who would want to make a show? Who would want to be in the right place at the right time, seen by the right people? This story in Mark's gospel is a warning to institutions and power structures, including churches, who prey on the vulnerable, who devour widows' houses, as Jesus says. And isn't that a really harsh, ugly image, devouring a widow's house? It's probably referring to scribes, legal profession, professionals who cared for widows' financial affairs and their wills and who milked the widow's property with shady dealings. We are here to serve, to love, to protect. But the fact is that our history tells us that far too often, we who have power abuse the very ones that we are to watch over. So in just a moment, as we heard, the story is going to move to a woman who models for us a reckless trust in God. But first, we have to hear the warning. Sometimes institutions and people who are supposed to be leading and caring actually suck the very life out of us. This is what happens whenever greed, selfishness, and vanity takes over. So the widows are the ones who are having their houses devoured. They are the ones who are being taken advantage of by the very ones, everyone who's supposed to be the leader being taken advantage of by the very ones who are supposed to know the truth, being taken advantage of by the very ones that we're supposed to follow. And then an actual widow enters the story. And Jesus is sitting across from the treasury. This would either have been the place in the temple uh, court where a priest would stand and all the gifts that were collected elsewhere would be brought and it would be received, and the priests would call out the gift and what it's being given for. Or it might refer to one of the 13 trumpet-shaped collectibles, collection spaces around the temple where people would, would put their, their gifts, and then they'd all be brought together. But Jesus is sitting across from one of these places where the gifts are being accepted, and a widow comes, and there's lots of wealthy people. Many of them, the scribes and the religious leaders, bringing 
large, ostentatious gifts, gifts that the temple needed, gifts they probably should have been given, but they were really large. And it was from the very people who you get the sense love giving the big gifts because of the accolades that it gives back to them. And Jesus is watching this happen. And then one of these widows, one of the very ones who's being taken advantage of, comes and brings two copper coins, two leptas. There's some disparity. At the very most, it's worth a penny. It's actually probably only worth a fraction of a penny, both of them together. This is minuscule. And Jesus calls his disciples together. There's something Jesus wants to make certain his disciples hear. I tell you the truth, Jesus says. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. So first in this, there is an indictment. This widow was giving all she had, and some of the ones who were in power were actually just using these funds for their own benefit, for their religious show, for their image building. But far beyond that, there's an invitation. Come see this wonder, Jesus says. This woman gave everything, all that she had to live on. What would possess a woman to give all she had? What would move this woman who is barely hanging on to life by a thin, thin thread to so scandalously, recklessly, extravagantly toss her final resources into the collection? What would move her to abandon her entire life to God? We don't know much about this woman. We don't know why exactly she would do this. The only hint we're given is that this woman gave out of her poverty. She gave out of her lack. She gave out of her meagerness. There was no pretending that she could hold her life together on her few coins. They, this woman was far past pretense. She was past image. Everyone else was tooting their own horn. This woman had nothing, no horn to toot. She just had a little bit, and she knew it. This woman practiced abandonment, trust, a wide-open heart, unclenched fists. Unless their husbands left them in an estate, widows had no way of providing for themselves. It's why the first deacons were called into the church, actually, is to serve food to the widows who had no way to provide for themselves. But the point here, the marvel of this woman was not really that she gave her money. That wasn't the final exclamation point that Jesus drew. 
The marvel was that she gave all she had. She gave her life. Those two copper coins that were worth a fraction of a penny, those were the symbol for the life she was giving away. Augustine taught that whenever we come to the Eucharist table, that we are coming, and it's one of the reasons why I really love the practice of walking forward, is that at the Eucharist table, we are bringing ourselves and our life, and we're laying it down at God's altar. In the Old Testament, the altar is the place where sacrifices were laid. And in our act of worship, the altar is the place where our lives are laid as a sacrifice. It's one of the reasons, and there's lots of them, but there's one of the reasons why we have the giving plate here. Because we come and as we give our checks or our cash, and I know that so many of us do it electronically, I don't know what to do about that, but, but however we're given, that this, this, this is a symbol that what we're doing is we're bringing our life. We're abandoning ourselves to God. We're moving past the idea that we can actually hold our life together. And we're saying, God, I'm just giving it away to you. That's why Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. Because when you give your life away, when you give your money away, you're relinquishing yourself. And you're doing it only because, well, I guess there's two reasons. We're either doing it for show and power, or we're doing it because we're abandoning ourselves to God. So whenever people ask me how much they should give, which is a unique thing that happens with a pastor, probably not many of us get that kind of question, I don't like to say an actual amount. I don't like to say a percentage. I have some opinions about that, but that's not what's most important. This is the answer that I come up with. Give enough so that it's clear that you're serving God and not money. Give enough so that it's a genuine symbol of how you're giving your life to God. Give enough so that you have to trust God and not your own resources. Because money is, in a hundred different ways, a symbol It's a physical act that actually represents something else. It's a symbol of our resistance to our dehumanizing and self-destructive self-sufficiency and consumption. It's a symbol of our dependence and allegiance to God. It's a symbol of a life that is actively pursuing discipleship to Jesus. Most Christians across history have believed that there are a handful of crucial areas that are common to all of us who are human, where our life must be transformed by the Holy Spirit if we are to truly be renewed people. That there's at least a handful of places of fundamental conflict between the ways of the world and the ways of God's kingdom. For two millennia, Christians of almost every stripe and almost every locality of all kinds of theological difference have insisted that our discipleship to Jesus will have to reckon with, among other things, 
but certainly at least these three. Our money, what we own and possess, our sexuality, our body, and our relationships with our personhood and with others, and our power, how we use our influence and our presence in the world. It's why in monastic communities, you hardly won't find one. And again, it doesn't matter the time, the tradition, the geography, where they don't take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Or money, sex, sexuality, and power. So in a couple weeks, November 25th, we're going to be, as we do each year, taking on our rule of life. In our rule of life, there's a number of things that, that we confess. We talk about our baptism. The story of Jesus is offered to us in the creeds. The rule of life will be going out in our uh, email this week, and there's also some copies at the back table if you want another look at that. But part of what we say is that we declare allegiance to Jesus and surrender of our life, just like this widow woman. That we hand control of our life over to God. What we're doing is we're saying our money, our sexuality, our power, our life, God, it's just yours. That doesn't answer all the questions. It doesn't give us details in lots of ways. It is a posture that says, God, I am wanting to become more and more the human that you have called me to be in this world. And in doing that, we are bringing our full selves to God out of our poverty, our confusion, our resistance, our fear, our self-protection. It's a dangerous thing. It's a scary thing to say, God, I'm going to give you my life. And it's not a ridiculous thing, humanly understood, to say, I'm not sure I'm going to do that. But the call to follow Jesus is always to bring the fullness of ourself to God and say, this is scary, this seems really crazy, I don't know how this ends up, but God, I'm bringing my life to you. God, I'm here, and I'm just going to throw it all at you. My two meager copper coins, my life, my uncertainty, my disillusionment, my pride, my anxiety, my resources, myself, I'm giving it all to you. My life, I'm going to trust you. And then we add maybe that one little line that's maybe the truest word we speak. And God, please don't let me down. And in that act, we follow the poor widow. And we are free. Would you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.